Welcome, this is Anthony Haynes, I'm Creative Director of Frontinus Limited. Welcome to the Grey Lit Cafe podcast brought to you by Frontinus Limited. Frontinus is a communications consultancy focused on engineering, infrastructure, sustainability and research. Now, in this episode, we tackle a particular genre of grey literature, which is podcasting. The phrase grey literature uh, has tended to refer to reading matter, as the word literature implies. But I think in recent times, with the advent of the digital age and multimedia and so on, I think there's a widespread recognition that grey literature also includes uh, materials such as, for instance, um, videos and presentations that people don't read or don't only read. And I think it's fairly widely accepted now that podcasts represent one uh, genre, one channel of grey literature. So to discuss a particular aspect of podcasting as grey literature, I'm delighted to have a special guest with us who is Mac Haggard. Mac is Associate Professor of Media and Communication at Miami University, Ohio, and he's the producer and host of Phantom Power. So welcome, Mac. Hi, Anthony. Thanks for having me. So a real pleasure to, to have you. So let me explain to the listeners what made me reach out and, and invite you to, um, to be a guest for us. So I was reading a book called Saving New Sounds. The main title is Saving New Sounds. And the subtitle is Podcast Preservation and Historiography. We'll put the reference in the show notes. It's edited by Jeremy Wade Morris and Eric Hoyt. And there's an open access version of the ebook available online. So we we'll put the link into the show notes as well. And I found the book full of interest, but the chapter that attracted my interest most was the one that Mac wrote. The chapter is called The Scholarly Podcast. And that that's that made me want to reach out. So Mac, um yes. in your chapter, you characterize the, the sort of intellectual context for you know why we want to talk about scholarly podcasts by using phrases such as audio academia sonic scholarship i'm not sure whether i'd heard the phrase audio academia before but i'm pretty certain i hadn't heard the phrase sonic scholarship before and they both both phrases uh, attracted me so for someone who's unfamiliar with such terms as I was before I read the book. Yeah. Um, what, what do you have in mind by using those kind of phrases? Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure that anyone has been using those terms. I was just kind of riffing and, and thought that they were sort of fun and a good yeah. way to reference what, what I think is just a nascent genre, really. You know, I mean, mm. as you well know, in academia, the written word is you know, rules supreme. Yes. And there are illustrations and graphs sometimes that help make the point. But basically, we communicate through journal articles. And those of us in the humanities, books, you know, less important books in the sci sciences, uh, when scholars are speaking to one another. But I was just sort of thinking about this sort of nascent field where people are communicating scholar to scholar and scholar to public using a podcast. Um, this has started, I would say, probably in my home field of media studies, because it was very clear to say a film scholar that it's easier to talk about the kind of suspense that Hitchcock builds through camera angles or the soundtrack if we can actually see and hear that 
in a video right? mm. um, instead of mm. just the written word on the page. So yes. I think this became very clear to us in media studies quickly. Um, and But there are a lot of scholars who are using the audiobook genre, the podcast to communicate either with other scholars or with uh, a wider audience. Yes, it's interesting. I mean, I've spent most of my working life dealing with a written word. I mean, primarily as a book publisher and then as a development editor and writing mentor. Mm. And I, I love the written word, but it frustrates me immensely, this kind of conservatism in academia that has meant that it, they've downplayed the importance of of the spoken word. And I find it fascinating. Clearly, things are changing. I mean, even in old-fashioned, traditional, established journals now, in the supplementary material, they positively encourage people to include videos and other kinds of uh, material. So something is afoot. Now, you raise a question that I found really arresting in the chapter. In a way, it's sort of simple. When you hear the question, it's it's obvious, but I never asked myself this question until I read read it in your chapter. You you write, why should we do scholarship out loud? And I work with academics in a whole number of universities. I can almost hear some of them asking that question. Why why do we need to do it aloud? So for someone like them who is perhaps skeptical about the idea, what would be a compelling answer for them? Yeah, I'm glad you picked that out because I thought that that was important to lay the groundwork at the beginning of the chapter for folks who are skeptical because, you know, this has been the tradition since the Enlightenment that we just communicate through the, the written word. Mm. Um, but if we think back a little bit, you know, to say the the ancient Greeks, you know, in the Western tradition, yes. uh, the spoken word was extremely important um, in scholarly pursuits. And the, speaking more specifically, maybe about podcasts, you know, we sort of have a toolkit that's available to us through podcasting that the written word doesn't provide. So we have our voice, we have sounds, we can use production to, to create sound effects that can be illustrative, or we can record sounds from the field, you know, if perhaps if you're a biologist or something like mm, that. And yeah. we have music, which can contribute, you know, an emotional or illustrative dimension. And then we also have silence where yeah. we can kind of build in space into our sonic argument to give people time to ponder it. Because you know, using a time-based medium like podcasting, we do need to be mindful that unless we're going to expect folks to hit pause, <laughs> they can't <laughs> just do what they do when they're reading a book and look up from the written page and think about that for a minute. So you yes. kind of have to build that space in. So those are, you know, what I think of as my sonic toolkit, voice, sounds, music, and silence. Mm. And I, th I think that they, they give us possibilities that aren't available on the page. You know, the, the Greeks used to talk about rhetoric and persuasion. They they had this triad of logos, ethos, and pathos. And logos is the the written word. It's the or or back then it didn't have to be the written word, but it was the word. It was basically the logical argument, which of course is extremely important. But scholarship since the Enlightenment has kind of left out the ethos and the pathos. Uh -huh. which is, yeah. The ethos is like the yeah. question of who is the speaker? Is this mm. a person of integrity? Is this a person I should believe? Yeah. And, and you know, who is this person making yes. this argument? Yes. And, and then the pathos is the affective or emotional dimension of the argument, you know? So 
I feel like doing Sonic scholarship allows us to bring those two elements back in. Mm. Um, and I, I think they're, they're valuable. Yes, it's interesting. I mean, I, I've always been interested in the fact there are some intellectuals who have managed to be highly influential without actually writing very much. An obvious example is Isaiah Berlin, the Oxford philosopher, who did write, but actually the weight given to him in intellectual history is out of all proportion to the amount that he actually wrote. And clearly, he was very effective in conversation and so on. Uh, But of course, the problem is we've got no recording of that, no no record of it, whereas podcast means that we we can record it. I'm very interested. I didn't know you were going to mention silence. And as it happens, I'm working with a researcher at Cambridge Judge Business School who's researching silence in organizational behavior. So I'll put her link. uh, I'll put a link to her work in the um, in the show notes. But I'm uh, I'm not a member of the uh, Quakers, but I have actually attended many Quaker meetings, which are usually primarily silent and and sometimes entirely silent. So I think uh, it makes you well aware of the sort of the importance of uh, silence as a form of communication or as. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, I can't wait to learn about her work because that is a big interest of mine. I've I've, uh, done a lot of work on noise canceling headphones and white noise machines and these different ways that we sort of simulate silence um, or create this different kind of techno silence Mm. for Mm. concentration and relaxation and so forth. So I'd love to learn more about her work. Well, I'll certainly I'll, I'll send you the link as well as um, putting in into the show notes. Now, in, in, in your chapter, you distinguish between two types of podcasts. And I think I'm right in saying both of these phrases were, were new to me as well, as well as the previous one. Yeah. So, so one of the phrases is hi-fi mid-register. And the other phrase is lo-fi high-register. And there will certainly be listeners thinking, what on earth? (laughs) What's all this about? What's all this? So hi-fi mid-register and lo-fi high-register. What what are they? Okay. Well, again, when when no one has written much on a topic, you have the liberty to make up (laughs) phrases to to sort of identify the things that you're noticing. So... I basically the lo-fi and the hi-fi refer to sound quality and the register refers to sort of how sophisticated and insidery the language is. So when I refer to uh lo-fi high register podcasts, I'm talking about the podcasts that scholars tend to produce for one another. Mm which are in their aesthetics. I like to compare them to punk rock. You know, they're very <laughs> DIY. So you just got like a couple of people on Zoom with a laptop yeah. And, yeah. and they just go for it. And they're not very worried about, uh, do I have like a wonderful condenser mic or any like anything like that's just not even a question, right? And those podcasts are very valuable in the academy. I've learned tons from podcasts like that. But they are very sort of impenetrable and and not welcoming to the outsider, to the non-expert, yeah. right? Which is which is fine. I think that there's a place yeah. for that genre. But that's what I call yes. lo-fi, bad sound quality, high register, lots of jargon, right? Mm-hmm. Then yeah. the, the the one that I refer to as hi-fi mid-register, this is more like your kinds of podcasts that are being produced by the BBC or NPR or some of the higher end uh, podcast production companies um, where they will be engaging with scholarship, but they will do so in a way that is meant to be consumed by the public. 
So the sound quality is very high. There's mm-hmm. often a narrative built in um, so that because people's minds love to follow a narrative, we might talk more about that later. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there could be music, so forth. But the language is not, you know, it, it's more of a mid-register. You know, the, mm-hmm. the language isn't, isn't as specialized as what academics would use. And so for examples of that sort of thing could be like um, Radio Lab is a is a famous right. science podcast that that has these really really beautiful production values but are explaining science for ordinary folks. Um, there was a one called Invisibilia, a sort of a, right. about, about the mind um, that NPR produces. Uh, Freakonomics is is a is a nice example. Uh, you know it's. But the, the thing is about these podcasts is they're not necessarily that useful for economists. If you're listening right, to free yes, economics, yes. probably isn't going to be extremely useful to an economist. Yes, indeed. It's interesting because there's, there's a, a sort of ongoing debate about what's the distinction between podcasts and radio. And with your lo-fi high register idea, um, it strikes me I've listened to lots of radio shows in the past which weren't called podcasts because podcasts hadn't been invented but they seem to be indistinguishable i mean the bbc had a long-running podcast called uh, the material world in which mm. quentin cooper would have on really high-flying scientists from research institutes and from universities and ask them about their work and to pick up on your point about the narrative he was a brilliant interviewer because he would always ask them about the human story you know the thing you don't write in the journal paper like well when you were in the lab and you got this data how did you feel yes. about that <laughs> which yes. you, would, you could never write that in a in a journal paper uh so thank you so that makes those two concepts very clear i think hi-fi mid-register lo-fi high register but in the uh, in your chapter of scholarly podcasts having identified those two types of podcasts you then i think very innovatively propose a third way so what's the third way of academic podcasting so the third way is basically an idea that i'm proposing which is what if academics took podcasting as seriously as a medium as they do the journal article mm. or the scholarly book. Mm. So in other words, you know, you wouldn't have a journal article full of typos or <laughs> like barely legible uh, the way it's printed. <laughs> you can't read it on the page, right? Like academics <laughs> feel very comfortable making podcasts. That are <laughs> right. Not, not very good. Like from an aesthetic yeah. perspective, right? Yeah. So, yes. so um, what if we took podcasting as seriously as we took our journal articles and and what if we learn to be audio producers um, or to work with audio producers in collaboration? And so instead of you know the BBC um, or the or NPR having a journalist sort of take our work and translate it for the public, what if we were involved in that in a more active way um, as podcast producers, so that? We have hi-fi audio and we're using storytelling, as you mentioned earlier, about the human dimensions of our scholarship to make it something that splits the difference. So mm. it, maybe maybe it could still be useful to scholars, but it's bringing in that ethos and pathos. But it could also be accessible to a wider audience. Folks who are motivated and interested, perhaps, it might not appeal to everyone, mm. but the door could be open to folks who who do want to yeah. learn more about what we're doing in the academy. 
Yeah, it's interesting that the, the, the idea of say, well, take it as seriously as you would approach a journal paper. But I also think there's another element, which is some people have been, in terms of their research outputs, doing little else other than writing journal papers for 30 years. And several of the people I meet who are in that situation, they're clearly a bit bored with it. Like it's a very yeah. restricted diet. And actually, you could have a bit of fun and the there's room for some creativity here. And I think one of the things your chapter brought out was this is a frontier. Like, yeah. you know, we don't know how to do this yet. We're having to work it out. And actually, <laughs> that's really fun. That's a, that's full of creative opportunity. So what would you say if academics, uh, scholars produce what, what you've termed a third way podcast? Who do you think stands to benefit from that? And what, what, what kind of benefits is, would that actually provide? Well, I mean, I do think this, I'm so glad you brought up fun because <laughs> it can be a shot in the arm to, to have a new medium to work with and to explore and to play with. It's certainly been fun for me. I produce a podcast called Phantom Power. Mm. It's a podcast about sound. And for the first five seasons, the vast majority of the episodes are this third way where I, mm. I, I mean, I did went so far as to even create my own music for them. So oh, I, went, right. wow. I went a bit right. hog wild, but I, not everyone needs to, to do that. But like really taking audio production seriously, figuring out how to find the story within the scholarship. So it's just been a thrilling experience for me. Now I have to say mm. it is time consuming. And now right. like after doing it for five years, I'm actually pivoting. I have a grant to write a book right now. And so I'm, I'm actually going to make Phantom Power more of a podcast like we're doing right now where I'm just interviewing folks uh -huh. um, because that is definitely less of a time commitment. Yeah, right. Um, and and But it's still extremely valuable. So, so I do want to acknowledge that this is a time-consuming genre to kind of delve into. Yes. But I think it's – I think scholars stand to benefit and I think the public um, stands to benefit mm. as well. Mm. And I, I should say, by the way, you, you mentioned earlier with um, – <laughs> you said, as we're doing now recording, you mentioned lo-fi earlier. We, we, I, I'm praying throughout this podcast that the sound quality will be okay because we had a couple of production glitches. So um, unusually for Grey Lip Podcast, we're recording over Zoom. So we'll have to, have to see, see how that works. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> Never I think, know. <laughs> I think, I, I think uh, I, I've probably um, already evoked the kind of enthusiasm that I felt when I read the chapter and particularly I, I like the chapter as a whole but particularly when we got onto this idea of the third way podcast i just thought well that's a great idea and incidentally we're going to be interviewing giovanni salucci uh, shortly who has come up with a an idea for something called the academic blog you know, mm -hmm. not just a blog by academics, but a particular, and, and actually, I think the two programs are exploring something of the same space. Now, if there are listeners who are attracted to the idea, and I really hope some of our listeners don't just think, oh, that's interesting. I, I really hope there are some people out there going to pick this up and think, I'd like to do this. Mm -hmm. Obviously, in a short podcast interview <laughs> i can't really ask you to say well come on get, give us the entire 101 you know how to on how to do it but uh, right. just as a way of getting started i mean are there certain kind of steps they could take certain sort of strategies just to get them underway in terms of developing a third third way podcast yeah and i should say i have given workshops on on how to do this so uh, you know if if you're 
in a university and, and the sounds of interest, you get some folks together, I'd be happy to lead a workshop on this topic. Well, but that sounds brilliant. I would say there are some practices that can be useful. So one of the things that I would suggest is, is to think in terms of a narrative, and that is very unusual for us as scholars. Mm. Um, but foregrounding a narrative really makes complex concepts easier to digest. And because people have a context for it and it fits within the arc of a story. So that story could be, how did this scientist discover this particular mm, principle yes. or finding, right? But the story could also be something that's found in the archives. Say if you're you're yeah. meeting uh, somebody who is doing um, historical research, or perhaps you're a marketer and and the story can be a, a, the story of like the focus groups that you led and like how they changed over time or whatever. But mm. thinking in terms of a story, moments that can illustrate, and there's a really wonderful technique that I I teach my students called, and this is something that I owe to the great radio uh, producer, Ira Glass, mm -hmm. but he talks about using an, an anecdote reflection point structure. Mm -hmm. So if you'll notice on, on his show, This American Life, if folks have ever listened to that show, um, it's a great narrative podcast. Well, he'll, what he'll do is the producer will be telling a story. The narrator will be telling a story. But then they will kind of pause and pull back and give us a sense of why we're talking about this. So that's the reflection point. So the anecdote, you tell a little bit of a story and then you pull back and you reflect on it and think about why that's interesting or why that's significant. Then you go back into the story. That's a very useful structure that gives people something to hang on to as listeners. That, that's sort of a thinking in terms of narrative. Another general point is using sound and music and pauses to kind of add drama or add space for thinking, as we sort of mentioned before. Another useful thing that I've found is you know, you could have a co-host mm -hmm. and there could be a little bit of banter. So instead of just someone reading from a script, which can right. be kind of hard to parse sometimes, if you just have a co-host and then they can ask you questions or vice versa, that is a more conversational flow that people find easier to, to parse. And basically one person can be the audience stand in and ask the questions that the audience might want to ask. And then a final tip that I would suggest is, you can use complex terms, you can use jargon, you can use the, the lingo of your field, but just always remember to pull back and define your terms. All right. Just, just like yes. you did in, in this interview, you, you introduced some terms that I basically made up and that you were <laughs> kind enough to take seriously. <laughs> but then you asked me to define them so that people would know what we were talking about. We didn't just start using them. Um, so, so that's exactly what I'm talking about here. Well, that's interesting because the, um, the phraseology was actually important in terms of defining my response to the chapter because it just made things feel fresh. Like mm. I didn't have that jaded feel of, oh, here we go again. You know, <laughs> I've read a hundred mm -hmm. things like that before. I, I, I didn't know that you were going to stress narratives so much. And that interests me a lot. I, I, several years ago, I changed direction in my career and I decided to focus on engineering and allied subjects such as infrastructure. Mm. And very much to my surprise, what I found was people use the word story there more than any, any other context I've ever worked in. Really? You know, if you, yeah. If you say to an engineering academic, what do you want your 
you know your phd students to do they say well i want to tell the story of the research it just it just uh, using the word all, all the time and in fact i'm going to do i, I, I was looking <laughs> unfortunately i've forgotten the exact name of the book but we um, and i was looking for it while you were, <laughs> while you were speaking uh, uh-huh. we, we have another recording um about to be published where i've reviewed a book by callahan and it's called something like stories at work uh, when i find the title i'll put it in the show note but it really dovetails with the example you gave about using anecdotes to hang things on because what what the book does is it it isn't one of those books that looks at narrative you know in the sort of sense of grand poetics or the kind Mm -hmm. of narratology you get in film so it's not like that it's a study of well how do the little you know momentary stories that we tell ourselves in our everyday discourse and how you can use them to to communicate concepts Hmm, that sounds great so i I think those are all eminently practical starting points as well i mean they don't sound they sound fun rather rather than frightening and you mentioned (laughs) earlier that uh, you mentioned earlier you're available to do workshops and it seems to me anyone who's got an interest in this and has the opportunity to take you up on that uh, why would they not want to do that um in terms of finding out about you and your work generally where can people go to look where can how can people follow up this episode and and, and uh, learn in more in depth about you and your work so uh my website is mactrasound.com um so that's spelled m a c t r a sound s-o-u-n-d.com and my podcast about sound if folks are interested in that is called phantom power and it's available at phantompod.org brilliant well i encourage anyone to to go and have a look so mac it's fantastic i i I love the chapter i think it's a fantastic topic and i think you've really helped to contextualize and actually embellish the points you put in the chapter so i'm really grateful for you breaking off from your work to uh, to come and appear on our, our podcast today thank you ever so much oh i'm grateful for the opportunity this was a lot of fun thank you everyone for listening gray lit cafe is edited by dr bart hallmark and produced by frontinus limited frontinus specializes in gray literature forms such as proposals publications papers and reports the music is from handel's water music courtesy of the United States Marine Band and Marine Chamber Orchestra.